Tere, and welcome to History of Estonia podcast, episode 16, The Livonian War, part one. I'm in a bit of a hurry to get this out. My podcasting service limits episodes to 30 minutes, and time will be close, so let's begin. In the late 15th century, many of the states surrounding the Baltic seas were growing in power, and they were all attempting to become the most powerful state in the region. Denmark had control of the Baltic Straits. Sweden controlled Finland, and were looking at gaining more territory to the east. Poland had grown in size and influence, and its borders reached the coast of the Baltic Sea. And Lithuania, already a strong military power, joined with Poland to become a real powerhouse in the region. The Grand Duchy of Moscow had grown into other Russian regions, and now bordered Livonia, and gaining access to the Baltic coast became a major foreign policy goal. Russia had improvement in its economy, and these improvements were tied in part to the trade markets of Old Livonia. So when the trade markets were barred from Russian traders by the Livonians in 1539, Russia's interests were greatly compromised. Relations were also hampered when the Livonians set limitations on the transit of Russian specialists such as doctors and craftsmen, and certain material goods such as copper, tin, and lead that were destined for Russia that had originated from Western Europe. Old Livonia, being politically fractured internally, was the sole weak link out of the powers in the Baltic region. Because of of Livonia's internal disunion, it became subject to territorial claims by its neighbors, especially Russia. Danger from the east seemed like a real possibility to Livonia in the early 1550s. Tartu's town council ordered a review of the strength of its own walls and prepared for possible attacks. In 1554, delegates from Livonia, as well as the Bishop of Tartu, were instructed by the order master to reach a deal with Russia to expand on a previous peace treaty with Russia for 30 additional years. The delegation was not permitted, however, to make trade concessions. Moscow had just recently won a major military engagement over the Kazan Khanate and claimed unlimited trade freedoms for its merchants. Russia also demanded that the Tartu diocese pay a tax to the Russian Tsar of one mark per year per capita. The Russians argued that the Russian princes originally allowed the Germans to settle in Livonia only if the Germans would pay taxes to Russia. While this was all news to the Germans at the council, they nevertheless agreed to the new tax to avoid war. The truce was put in effect for 15 years, and the Tartu tax, as it was called, was to be paid in three years. In 1554, the Tsar arrived in Livonia and had the Archbishop of Riga, the Ordermaster, and the Bishop of Tartu endorse the condition of the treaty in his presence. While it was yet to be seen that the taxes would indeed be paid, it was, this was considered a great victory for Russian diplomacy. In 1556 and 57, the order once again battled with the Archbishop of Riga and its ally Poland. The war, however, further demonstrated the weakness of old Livonia's powers and increased the appetite of its neighbors. The battles were ended by the Pasfalis Peace Treaty in which the Livonian order 
formed an anti-Russian alliance with Poland-Lithuania. The alliance, though, was not able to be put into place for another five years, until a peace treaty that was already signed between Poland-Lithuania and Russia expired. In 1557, the truce between Old Livonia and Russia ended. So envoys from Old Livonia made its way to Moscow to meet Tsar Ivan IV, also known as Ivan Grozny or Ivan the Terrible, who was sitting in absolute confidence after his, re- after his recent victory in which the Astrakhan Khanate had surrendered to him a year earlier. And he had just successfully signed a peace treaties with the Crimean Khanate and the Swedish king. Russia now felt comfortable in deploying its troops to the Livonian borderland. While the Tsar greeted the delegation with warm handshakes, the warm feeling soon ended when it was discovered that the envoy had not brought the expected tax proceeds. The Tsar decided it was time for Russia to prepare for war. It is speculated that not paying the Tartu tax was just a pretext that Russia needed to attack Livonia, and that it probably would have happened anyways. This for sure we will never know. The Estonians once again sought a way to improve their status. Envoys from Sarama made a trip to Turku, Finland, to meet the future monarch, Johan, and proposed to put their island under the Swedish crown. On January 22, 1558, Russians forced, Russian forces led by the Tatar Khan Shah Ali invaded the Tartu diocese. At least a quarter of the Russian army included Tatars. Additional Russian units entered Latvian territories. At this time, many important nobles of Livonia were attending a lavish wedding in Tallinn. This is the reason given why Ordermaster Furstenberg was unable to gather a force for a counterattack. Only the peasants resisted the Russian invasion, and the opposing parties engaged in a bloody battle at Yofi Church. Shah Ali had returned to Russia and wrote the order master, offering peace terms if they would pay the missing taxes that were promised. Even with the real threat of war, the tax was unable to be, collect, unable to be collected, and therefore the peace remained elusive. In the spring of 1558, the Russians again invaded, this time with the goal of conquering all of Livonia. A siege and bombardment, bombardment of Narva commenced in April of 1558. The artillery inflicted heavy damage and caused some fires to break out. The town of Narva held, but no relief army appeared to be on the horizon, and due to the fact that the town mostly depended on Russian trade, those favoring surrender prevailed. On May 11th, a fierce fire broke out in the town, and the defenders retreated to the castle, looking for protection from both the fire and the Russians. The garrison soon surrendered, and favorable terms were offered and accepted. Anyone wishing to leave the town were permitted to do so, and the town retained its trading rights. The Russian victors acted politely to the conquered, hoping to persuade future towns that would be attacked to surrender. At the same time, 60,000 Russian troops, led by, by Prince Shusky, arrived in southern Estonia. 
the order master was still unable to put up a resistance and retreated to Latvia. The Russians soon took over the Castre Fortress on the Imayogi River, and this allowed the Russians to ferry the army to Tartu, where they besieged the city with heavy cannons, and the town was taken on July 18th, exactly one week from the start of the attack. The Bishop of Tartu and the town council were able to procure favorable surrender terms, and the town retained all of its previous rights. The fall of the town marked the end of local control of the city and the Tartu diocese was disbanded. The bishop was allowed to settle temporarily at the Karkna Monastery, but was soon sent to Russia. Also, a majority of Tartu's German inhabitants were deported to Russia a few years later. The capture of Narva and Tartu had happened with relative, with relative ease, and both towns were of great strategic and moral importance to the Russian army. The Russian army claimed to have seized 552 cannons and a large quantity of gunpowder. A list of smaller fortresses, Rongu, Rakvere, Lauise, Poltsama, Tolse, and others were taken in August. The Russian troops arrived in Tallinn, but did not lay siege to it at this time. In the autumn of 1558, the order attempted a broad counterattack, but no breakthrough was achieved, and the military engagements came to a stall, and under mediation of Danish nobles, a six-month truce concluded on April 1559. The suspension of military activities permitted the local powers to seek foreign assistance. A part of the order friendly to Poland one election and a new order master was selected, Gotthard Kettler. In the autumn of 1559, a bishop of Lanama sold the diocese to Frederick II, the new king of Denmark, for 30,000 thalers, and handed it over to Duke Magnus, the king's brother. Magnus and his party arrived in Kurosari in April 1560. Magnus was 19 years old and ambitious. He was soon sworn in as bishop. He also purchased a bishop's title in Coronia and Tallinn and hoped to acquire more lands still unconquered by the Russians. <clears throat> Magnus had reportedly hired mercenaries that deserted and adventurers of all varieties. With his hired men, Magnus set out to loot several mainland areas. There he ran into the order and was drawn into a conflict. But soon a truce was settled upon until the following spring. At this point, the king of Denmark recalled Magnus back to Denmark to report to his brother. Military Defeat of the Livonian Order Russian troops started fresh hostilities in 1560. On August 2nd, the last field battle of the order took place at Homuli Mansion near Ergeme. The order attempted to prevent the Russians' advance on Viliandi and attacked from Latvian territory with a 120,000 strong force and 500 horsemen. The order's force was surrounded and completely destroyed. Local defense now amounted to the defense of fortresses. 
which were manned, which were mainly manned by mercenaries whose morale was down due to unpaid wages and general despair because of the difficult situation. Even the mighty fortress of Viljandi was handed over to the Russians after just a few days' siege. Former Ordermaster Furstenberg was captured and sent to Russia where he died. The Order were only in control of just Tallinn, Pernu, Paide, and the surrounding areas. For the local Estonian peasants, the war brought nothing but suffering and taxes. Villages were left unprotected by looting and military raids for, by both sides. The peasants paid taxes to cover the expenses of the mercenaries, and peasants were conscripted to fight as well. In some cases, the local peasants took advantage of the weakened position of their oppressors and took revenge. Some Germans were executed and some mansions were burned. Many Estonians took the motto, an enemy of my enemy is at least a temporary friend. They sometimes assisted Russians as spies and guides in the early days of the war. The Russians, however, were looking to win over the local landlords, which left the peasants with no friends at all. So they had no choice but to stand for themselves. In September 1560, an uprising broke out in most of Lanama and Haryuma. The, chronicle, the chronicler Rousseau wrote, The peasants had decided not to submit to the nobles or perform any corvée, but to seek complete liberation from it or to utterly destroy and uproot the nobles. As the uprising spread, the peasant leaders emerged. A description of the king and his entourage was written in Renner's Chronicle that the peasants chose a non-German blacksmith as their king and set him on a carriage. Twelve guards ran by side and one rode in front with a bagpipe. He was his music man. The king's head was crowned with two hats encircled by thorns. This was his crown. Trying to take advantage of disputes between Tallinn and its vassals of Haryuma-Viruma, the peasants attempted to talk with the Tallinn town council. The council, however, advised the peasants to end their rebellion. The rebel parties were gathering at Kaluvere Fortress, where inside many nobles were seeking refuge. Unexpectedly, a strong group of noble horsemen from Lanama showed up and attacked the gathering groups. They set upon the large group of Estonian peasants and cut them down. Reportedly, 200 Estonians died in the attack. The Estonian king was captured and taken to Kutusari, where he was drawn and quartered. Many other leaders of the Estonians were tortured and executed as well. The uprising occasionally continued until 1561, but the, lack of the, but the back of the rebellion was broken. This had been one of the largest Estonian uprisings in history. The advance of Russian troops and the peasant uprising had initiated a decision to seek a change in leadership in Old Livonia. Because of Master Kettler's ties with Poland, most of the, fortress not, most of the fortresses not conquered by Russia were now manned by Polish troops in 1560. But in Tallinn, many found Denmark, in particular Sweden, more appealing than Poland. 
because the locals had better trade ties with Sweden. In 1561, the Swedes drove the Poles from Tampea Hill in Tallinn. Directly after, the Knights of Haru, Viru, Jarva, and the city of Tallinn surrendered to the Swedish king, Eric XVI, on the 4th and 6th of July. At this point, Sweden ruled all of northern Estonia. In the other Livonian territories, the Livonian order master and the Archbishop, Archbishop of Riga swore allegiance to Sigismund II August, the King of Poland. At this point, the Livonian order ceased to exist. In 1561, Magnus returned to Kutersari with a lot of money, ten battleships, and the King of Denmark's vice-regent, who was to guide the army and foreign policy, and this meant that Magnus was not in sole control of Sarama anymore. At this point, the Sarama Lanama diocese also ceased to exist, and its territories were incorporated into the Kingdom of Denmark. The year of 1561 then officially marks the end of the era of Old Livonia. In the year of 1563, the conflict between Sweden and Denmark broke out into a new war called the Seven-Year Nordic War, with Estonia once again becoming a battleground. During the war, Sweden invaded the island of Hiuma, which was used as an effective base to, t to attack Sarama. The main battles of this war were mainly fought on the islands, with some action between Sweden and the alliance of Denmark and Poland. German mercenary horsemen squads, comprised of former servants and mercenaries of the order, such as nobles deprived of their estates, various adventurers, and a small number of Estonians, rose up against the Swedes in Pernu and conquered the town and handed the, most, and handed the important base to the Polish forces. After some more battles ended in a stalemate, a peace treaty was signed between Denmark and Sweden in 1570. Now Danish territory was limited to the island of Sodoma. In the late 1560s, several changes in the division of power between the countries fighting over Livonia occurred. In 1569, the Kingdom of Poland and the Grand Duchy of Lithuania entered into the Union of Lublin, creating a commonwealth of Poland-Lithuania which considered Livonia its territory. In Sweden, a coup in 1568 brought Johann III, brother-in-law to the King of Poland, to power. The coup brought closer ties between Sweden and Poland. The birth of the so-called Livonian Kingdom. Magnus was at loggerheads with the King of Denmark and had lost sole control of the island of Sodoma started looking for other possible partners in which to gain power. He approached the king of Poland, but negotiations were not bearing any fruit. He reached out to Ivan Grozny, the Tsar of Russia, sensed, sensed an opportunity to establish a vassal kingdom under Moscow's influence. Ivan laid it on thick and flattered Magnus by calling him the king and promised to help Magnus against the Swedes. He also went as far as to arrange a marriage between Magnus and Ivan's niece's daughter. They even had the plan on, on where a new capital would be located, 
in Poltsama. The young duke was delighted by the turn of events and his reception in Moscow. In late August 1570, the new Livonian king, Magnus, arrived to the outskirts of Tallinn with a large Russian force. The city was besieged, while the sea route remained open. It did not supply enough provisions to supply enough ammunition and food to satisfy the city's needs. The plague devastated and besieged the city with, through the winter. In March, however, it spread to the besiegers. After nearly seven months of siege, Magnus's force forces set fire to the camp in March 1571. The Russian army left Estonia entirely, and Magnus went to his capital in Poltsama with a, with a small German force, fearing Ivan's rage over the failed siege. Among the cities, Tallinn and Paide were now under Swedish rule, while Parnu was under Polish control. Kutusari, which was granted town rights by Magnus in 1563, was under Danish control with the rest of Soderma. The remaining towns, along with most other territories in Estonia, were under Russian rule. In this period of time, there were many opportunist adventurer mercenaries in, Lo in Livonia, and, Mag and Magnus had hired many of these fighters on. A large contingent of these men attacked the city of Tartu, which was under Russian control. This was a big problem for Magnus, as it now was known that his men, which were now traitors, were attacking Magnus's allies. When the traitors failed in their bid to take Tartu, they fled to serve the king of Poland instead. And again, Magnus feared the wrath of Ivan Grozny. His fear was well-placed, as the Tsar arrived in Livonia at the head of a large army in 1572 and 73. The Russians took Karksi and Paide from the Swedes, but were defeated in a battle near Koluvere. The Tsar was, however, still merciful towards Magnus. Ivan even gifted new land grants and replaced Magnus's bride, who had passed away, with, uh, with her 13-year-old sister. After a lavish wedding in Novgorod, the couple, the couple settled at Poltsama. The war raged on. The Swedes, using the fortifications of Tallinn as a base, brought in mercenaries from Germany, Scotland, and England. In 1574, Swedish forces attacked Poltsama and burned down the village, but were unable to take the fortress. Magnus, once again in dire straits, received assistance from Russia, using Russian and Tartar forces. He managed to conquer most of Estonia, including Pernu and Sodorma, in 1575 and 76. The Poles were driven from the country, and Sweden remained as the sole power to oppose Russia from their base in Tallinn and Haryu region. The life of the peasants during the Livonian Wars was worse than usual. For those that stayed on their land and defiantly farmed to feed their family had to put up with terror by gangs of peasants that had, that had abandoned work for looting. And to make things even worse, the plague repeatedly raged through the lands in the 1570s. Despite all this, the land was more or less able to supply the towns. 
looting armies, robbers, and to some extent themselves, with enough nourishment to survive. With the exception of when prolonged sieges stripped away all local supplies to feed the armies, and in this situation there was indeed famine in the surrounding area. Peasants that had fled the countryside to Tallinn, and in addition to townsfolk of Tallinn itself, were incorporated into the Swedish army in 1576 and conducted guerrilla warfare against the Russian army. Their goal was to make looting raids into areas under Russian occupation and deprive the Russians of food and goods that would aid them. Some surprise attacks on Russian troops and fortresses were carried out, but this wasn't their primary goal. The approximately 400-strong force of Estonians was headed by a journeyman mentor named Ivo Schenkenberg, also name of a character from my favorite Estonian movie classic, Vimne Relikvia. Schenkenberg's outstanding courage won him the title of the Livonian Hannibal, and his peasant soldiers named the people of Hannibal from his enemies. Because of his daring and courageous nature, he and his men were engaged and surrounded by the Russians near Rockferry, in 1579. The Russians' victory over the grossly outnumbered rebels was held to be a considerable achievement. The wounded Schenkenberg was taken to Peskov and executed in a cruel fashion, along with all of his men. In addition to the peasant force of Tallinn, several other peasant squads attacked the Russians when the opportunity arose. The largest of these was the unit of Ultra Jurgen, whose who was later awarded the manor of Kumna Mois as a reward for his service during the war. We will leave the Livonian War for here for the time being. The struggle for Livonia at this period looks like it could go any way. Magnus, the seemingly temporary king of Livonia, is having a hard time with desertion from his, from his mercenary soldiers, and Ivan Grozny, has been holding back his rage and disappointment in Magnus. But will this continue, or will Ivan have Magnus's head on a pike? We will find out when we meet next time. The Livonian War will end, and we will learn who gets to pick up the pieces that are left in Estonia. Until next time, Nagamiseni.